Well, this year's Gavit Games didn't quite go to plan for the Big East. Pretty plain and simple. Last year, we all know what happened. Big East got off to a red-hot start starting off 4-0 and won 6 of 8. This year, the Big Ten turns the tables by winning 6 of 8. I'll recap the second half of the Gavit Games again. The Big East started down 3-1. to But again, I tried to re- remain optimistic as the Big East still had three of the final four games on their home courts. But to no avail, only one more team won. So I'll recap that as well as some other action that happened over the past few days. And of course, I will give you a look ahead to Feast Week, officially beginning for the Big East here on this edition of the Igloo. By the way, I meant to upload that women's episode yesterday, and I think I just forgot that I did. I know I recorded it. I guess I just forgot to upload it. Oh, well. Anyways, uh, let's talk about what happened over the past few days. Again, the Big East was down 3-1 to one in the Gavi games halfway through, but going into Wednesday, I'm like, okay, Seton Hall hosting Iowa? Like, okay, I feel like the depth of Seton Hall could boost them to a win, and they started off pretty well. You know, they started off on a scoring 10 of the first 12 points, but Iowa, once they settled in, they got going and got hot in a hurry, and they led this game by as many as six. their biggest lead was 16, and that ended up, by the way, Seton Hall's biggest lead was by eight, that 10-2 to two margin, but Iowa went on a monster spurt. It was a 19 to 3 run where they went from down 8 to up 8 in the span of what? 8 minutes. Yeah, once they started getting their threes to fall, it was tough sledding for Seton Hall and Shaheen Holloway saying like our defense should have been a lot better and I'll take the fall for that. That takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to admit that. So Seton Hall falls at home 83-67 and Chris Murray had a monster game tying his career high with 29 points and grabbing 11 rebounds, 10 for 20 from the field, 3 for 8 from deep. You know, Iowa shot just 5 of 16 from 3. Seton Hall was 8 for 22, but inside the arc, Seton Hall was just not as good. 16 for 45 inside the arc. And Iowa also got to the line a lot more. Not going to comment on the officiating. I mean, I may have a little bias because DJ Carstensen was one of the refs, and I happen to know DJ personally. Because he played college basketball right here in Utica back in the 80s. Back when they were D1. But Iowa went to the line 33 times compared to just 13 for the Pirates. who And the foul margin was 25-15. With Seton Hall committing more fouls. Uh, to no one's surprise based on the foul shooting. Based on the foul shot margin. Anyways, 18 from Tony Perkins. To go with 5 assists who also... Picked up just a stupid technical foul in the first half. And he was 6 of 12 from the field in 34 minutes. 
Patrick McCaffrey with 11 points and 5 rebounds. A double-double for Philip Rabraka. 10 points, 11 rebounds, 3 of 6 shooting. 4 for 5 from the free throw line. And then, off the bench, 8 points from Aaron Eulis and 5 points from Connor McCaffrey. And McCaffrey knocked down his only shot of the game, which was a three. And then they got two points, both from the free throw line from Peyton Sanford. Sanford. And, you know, to be honest with you, I I didn't think Chris Murray was all that. I mean, obviously I knew how good Keegan Murray was being a lottery pick this summer. But... I was wrong about Chris Murray. I was wrong about Iowa. Anyways, leading the way for the Pirates, 13 from Dre Davis. Four boards, five of 10 from the floor, two for four from behind the arc. 11 each from Kadari Richmond and Jameer Harris. I mean, I'll give them credit. You know, Richmond and Harris being a few of the returners that the Seton Hall team has. You know, they did a solid job. Harris made three three pointers on seven attempts. Four for nine from the field. Richmond was four for eight from the field. One for two from deep. Tyree Samuel got himself into foul trouble. Nine points, eight boards in 14 minutes. Casey and Defo went into foul trouble as well. Played 27 minutes, just eight points. Three of seven shooting. Femi Odukale and Alamir Dawes both struggled. Odukale with just two points on one of five shooting. Dawes off the bench, 31 minutes played. Six points, all from behind the arc where he was 2-for-7, but he was 2-for-13 from the field. Rough day for the Newark native. Meanwhile, Trey Jackson picked up, got into foul trouble himself, 18 minutes, just four points. And Tay Davis had three points and seven rebounds. And I think in order for Seen Hall to become more successful this season, I think Shaw may have to limit his rotation I mean it's great having this much depth is both a good thing and a bad thing not having that real go-to number one option like Iowa has that is going to come back to hurt him against really good teams like the Hawkeyes so I'm sure Shaw and his staff they're making the proper adjustments I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens, you know, moving forward. And specifically, you know, they have a game tomorrow. But Thursday, pretty good day for the league overall. Butler hosting St. Francis. Uh, Butler got off to a slow start. But once they went on a big, big run, late in the first half, I mean, they just ran with it. And at the end of the day, Butler wins 95-67. Four players in double figures. Chuck Harris with 22 points, seven dimes, five rebounds, seven of ten from the floor, two for four from behind the arc. And Butler was very efficient. They shot 70% from the field, 38 of 54, and were 8 of 15 from deep. So if you want to do the math, Inside the arc, and Lucas Harkins pointed it out on Twitter, former guest of the Igloo, 
They shot nearly 77% inside the arc. That's impressive. Meanwhile, Eric Hunter Jr. with 18, 8 of 11 from the field, knocked down his only three-point attempt of the game. Jaden Taylor also was 1 for 1 from deep, 6 for 7 from the field, 15 points in 33 minutes. Simas Lukosius with 15 of his own, 6 of 10 from the floor, 3 of 7 from deep, 6 dimes for the sophomore. And then Manny Bates, limited to 21 minutes because of foul trouble, but he was he had himself a Wendy's game, 4 for 4, 8 points, 4 boards. And then off the bench, 8 points for Miles Tate in 12 minutes. And then they got three different players with 3 points each. Pierce Thomas with 6 rebounds and a really big block. I mean, he made kind of a boneheaded play on the offensive end. And then he goes down on defense in transition, blocks a shot. Makes a huge difference. Uh, that's why you never give up on the play, kids. Uh, DJ Hughes also had 3 points. And then in garbage time, they got a 3 from... Freshman Connor Turnbull. As for the Red Flash, they were led by Josh Cohen with 18 points. Pretty efficient day. 8 of 14 from the field, 7 rebounds. 17 from Maxwell Land, who was 7 of 15 from the field, 2 for 5 from behind the arc. 5 rebounds as well. 16 from Landon Moore, who had who was 3 for 5 from deep. 5 of 15, though, from the field. 6 points from Cam Gregory. And then five points from Marlon Hargis. And then just five combined bench points. They got a three from Brad McCabe and two from Whistler Whistler Sannon. I mean, it's not like St. Francis shot horribly. 41% from the field. 41% from deep, excuse me, 7 for 17. And nearly 46% from the field. I mean, 6 for 12 from the free throw line is not good at all. Butler was 11 for 15, and they also turned St. Francis over 17 times. So, good bounce back win for the Dogs after losing at Penn State. They're now 3-1. and one. Now, St. John's, they started off really slow against Nebraska. I mean, their offense was just abysmal in the first half. And the Huskers, their biggest lead was 10 points. They were up 10 in this game. And... It, with five minutes left in the first half, it was 22-12. to 12. I mean, you go f- almost 15 minutes, you only have 12 points to show for it? Yikes. But the offense woke up. The final 25 minutes, 58 points. And the defense really hunkered down too. They only held the Huskers to 28 points the rest of the way. So they were plus 30 in the final 25-07. And in the second half, Saint, once St. John's got the lead, well, I mean, they got their first lead of the second half on an Andre Corbello three, three minutes into the second half, and then they reclaimed the lead for good on a layup by Joel Soriano, and they had a monster takeover. David Jones had a sequence where he made back-to-back threes. You don't let the guy get open. I don't care what team you are. You do not let David Jones get that wide open. But, that, you know, when you're hot, you're hot. And St. John's, they ended up leading by as many as 25 in this game. And in the end, Johnny's get the Big East back in the win column with a 70-50 to 50 win. And I, the star of the game, Joel Soriano, 
17 points, 18 rebounds, 7 of 13 from the field. David Jones with 15 points, 3 of 8 from 3, 6 of 15 from the floor, 8 boards as well for the DePaul transfer. Pasha Alexander with 13 points in 32 minutes. Montez Mathis with 8 points. Andre Curbelo, that 3 he made to give St. John's their first lead of the second half, that was his only, only attempt from 3. 3 for 10 from the field is not great, but he did have 7 assists. And then... I mean, Mike Anderson really shortened up the bench in this one. A.J. Storr, 14 minutes, 5 points, 2 of 5 from the floor, 1 of 4 from deep. Dylan Adewusu, 16 minutes, just 2 points. And then in 15 minutes, Omar Stanley with 3 points, 5 rebounds. I mean, St. John's didn't shoot the ball well. I mean, neither team did, but they shot a heck of a lot better than the Huskers. And again, credit that to how hot they were in the second half. 39% from the field. On tw- so 29 for 74 from the field, 5 of 21 from deep, but they hold Nebraska to just 5 of 27 from deep and under 30% from the field, and they were led off the bench by the native of Japan, Kisi Tominaga. 15 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 3 for 6 from deep, and one of the threes he made was just a wild bank shot. And he was the only player in double figures. The starters for the Huskers combined to score exactly half of their points, 25. And again, the bench for Nebraska had the other 25 again, but Tominaga had 15 of them. They got 8 points from Juwan Gary, 11 rebounds, but 4 for 14 from the floor, 0 for 5 from deep. 6 each from North Dakota State transfer Sam Griesel, who was 2 for 4 from the field, and then also from... Xavier transfer, C.J. Wilcher, 28 minutes, 2 for 8 from the floor, 1 of 6 from deep, just 5 points from Emmanuel Bandumel, who is just 2 for 10 from the field, 0 for 3 from behind the arc, 9 rebounds, and then Blaze Keita didn't score, 5 rebounds in 11 minutes, and then back to the bench, 5 points from Denham Dawson, they got a 3 from... Jamarcus Lawrence, and then just two points in 22 minutes from Wilhelm Breidenbach. Just one for eight from the field, 0 for three from behind the arc. Again, he played 22 minutes. So St. John's victorious at Carneseca. And then other non-conference action on Thursday. Number 10, Creighton. They decimate UC Riverside. 80-51, to 51. I mean, ever since that little slip-up against St. Thomas early on where they struggled early, they have been on a roll. Their combined margin of victory since that 12-point win against St. Thomas, 93 points. And their, their offense has been phenomenal. Again, they only had 72 against St. Thomas. But the last three games, just superb. They're at, they've, they've averaged 90 points in their last three games. And in this game, pretty well-balanced effort. They were led by Baylor Shireman with 17 points, 3 for 4 from deep, 7 of 10 from the floor, 6 boards as well. Three different players with 12 each. Kaluma was 2 for 6 from deep, 4 for 12 from the floor, 7 rebounds. Kalkbrenner, 
12, uh, 12 at 8, 5 of 6 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep. Trey Alexander, 12 points, 9 boards, 5 of 10 from the field. Ryan Nemhard, not his best night, 5 points, 4 assists, 2 of 7 from the floor, 1 of 4 from deep. I think uh, for Frederick King has been one of the most impactful transfer uh, freshmen rather in the Big East. Eight points in just nine minutes, though. Sharif Mitchell in 13 minutes with seven points. They got a three in 16 minutes from Francisco Farabeo. Two points in five minutes from Ben Stolzberg, as well as Sammy Osmani, who played three minutes. And then... Creighton played a really efficient game. I mean, UC Riverside did too. I mean, neither team committed more than 10 turnovers. Creighton just 7. UC Riverside 9. And by the way, pretty clean game too. Just combined 21 fouls for the whole game. UC Riverside 11 fouls and just 10 for Creighton. Blue Jays were really good from the field. 52.5%. 38% from deep is pretty solid. But the defense was superb. They hold the Highlanders to just 3 of 19 from deep. That's right around 16% and 35.5% from the field. They also out-rebound the Highlanders 42-31, leading the way for UC Riverside. Just 11 points from Will Tattersall. 5 of 12 from the field, 1 of 3 from deep. 9 off the bench in 24 minutes from Jamal Hartwell, who was 4 for 6 from the floor, 1 for 3 from behind the arc. They got 8 from Zion Pullen in 35 minutes, 4 for 10 from the field. 7 off the bench from Kyle Owens, who played 23 minutes. 6 points from Lachlan Ulbrich. 4 from Flynn Cameron, who, yep, that's that's DePaul transfer, Flynn Cameron. And then 2 points in 9 minutes from Jalen Martinez. And then off the bench, uh, two uh, two different players each with two points. Vladimir Salaridzi and Luke Turner. So Creighton now 4-0 is now they head to Maui. Meanwhile, Marquette, they get to 3-1 with a win over Long Island. And they were dominant. 95-58 the final. They were up 23 at the break. Offense looked a heck of a lot better in this one. Defense definitely... Got stronger in this one. And how about a career night from Omax Prosper? 31 points, 11 for 12 from the field, and 3 for 3 from behind the arc. Meanwhile, 13 from Cam Jones, who, again, for the field, struggled. 6 of 15 from the floor, just 1 of 8 from deep. Osui Gadaro with 11, 6, and 6. Pretty, uh, pretty good, nice stuff in the stat sheet for the sophomore. Stevie Mitchell with 7 points. Tyler Kolick played only 21 minutes, just three points. One of two from behind the arc. Four boards, eight dimes. But how about the bench was really solid. David Joplin with 12 in 18 minutes. Three of nine from the floor. Two for seven from deep. Also grabbed seven rebounds. Six from Sean Jones in 20 minutes. They got four points from Kian Itajiri. A three from Ben Gold as well as Chase Ross, and then they got two points from Zach Reitzel and five rebounds in 17 minutes. As for the Sharks, leading the way off the bench, 22 points from Marco Malatic, who he took a lot of shots, 8 of 20 from the field, 5 of 13 from deep. 
I mean, that sounds like a Marcus Howard-esque shooting performance where, you know, he takes a ton of shots, including from deep. They got 17 from Jacob Johnson, but again, that's 39 of their 58 points. They got 9 from R.J. Green, 5 from Keon Burns, just 2 points from Jake Cook, and then off the bench, going back to it, Amadou Fall with 2 points on 1 of 6 shooting, and then just a free throw from Noble Crawford, and by the way, uh, Cheek Njai was held scoreless in 23 minutes. So, good bounce back win for the Golden Eagles. Now, Friday was a bit of a tough day. Just a one and four day for the league. And George, it starts with Georgetown. They had an afternoon game in Jamaica yesterday. And they started off really well. They were up 10 at the break, 42 to 32. And then, well, and their, their biggest lead was 11. But then, second half, I mean, let's be frank, shit just hit the fan. The poorest defense that we saw at times in the Northwestern game, and even against like Coppin State, but a poorest defense we saw pretty much all of last year, it, it it came into the fold once again. And I think Coach Ewing is he probably reiterating this: no excuses, and they should not be this awful on defense against a team like Loyola Marymount. Because they let them score 52 points in the second half like Hank Gathers is back on the floor. And he got Paul Westhead on the sidelines. They got outscored in the second half, 52-24. And Loyola goes from down 10 at the half to winning by 18. Leading the way for the Lions, Kelly Liu Pepe. 15 points, 9 boards. 5 of 6 from the floor, 3 for 4 from behind the arc. They got a dozen each from the Ohio State transfer, Justin Arns, who was 4 for 8 from the field, 4 for 7 from deep. They and uh, I didn't mean to say 12 points each. 10 points each, rather, from Cam Shelton and Rick Isansa. And they also got 7 from Jalen Anderson, but the bench was a big difference in this game. 30 combined points from the bench from Loyola Marymount. Just four from Georgetown. They got nine each off the bench from Michael Graham and Chance Stevens. They got eight points from Alex Merkvaladze. And Stevens, by the way, 3 for 10 from deep, 3 for 11 from the floor, and they also got 4 points from Lamage Lewis. They were plus 8 on the glass, 40-32. Georgetown was really good from the free throw line, oddly enough. They were 19 of 20 from the free throw line. But the defense, again, they looked terrible in the second half. They allow Loyola Marymount to make 12 three-pointers on the game, and they nearly shot... 50% from the field, right around 48%. And Georgetown was just 3 for 16 from deep. So under 20%, and they were around 38% from the field. They were led by Brandon Murray. Probably his best game scoring-wise in the Georgetown uniform. 19 points, 7 of 18 from the field, though. 3 of 8 from deep. 15 from the Arizona State transfer, Jay Heath, who was 5 for 10 from the floor. 
12 points from Kudus Wahab. Didn't seem like he played a lot. Just 2 for 2 from the field. 8 of 8 from the free throw line, though, and 3 rebounds. Primo Spears, you know, every great scorers have bad shooting days. It happens. Spears was just 4 for 17 from the floor. And then a cook, a cook. He did have a team high 12, 10 rebounds, but was just 1 for 6 from the floor, 0 for 4 from D, finished with just 2 points, and then just 8 combined bench points, as I mentioned. 4 each from Ryan Matumbo and Jordan Riley. Matumbo was 2 for 2, Riley 1 for 1. So Georgetown, with that loss, uh, they are going to play in the consolation game of the Jamaica Classic on Sunday against LaSalle. And then going back to the Gavit games, tough Friday. Xavier hosting 12th-ranked Indiana. I mean, Xavier, they looked really good early on in this game. Their biggest lead was 9 points, and that was in the first half. But Indiana chipped away. They got it down to 2 at the break. And in the second half, you know, Indiana looked the part of the number 12 team in the country. They actually led by as many as eight in this game. I'm trying to find where that eight point. Yeah, it was 54-46 with about 14 minutes left in the second half. So they started the second half, mind you. I mean, they out doubled them up 16-8 to eight in the first six-ish six -ish minutes. But Xavier, you know, they chipped away. But Indiana, I mean, they just made enough plays late down the stretch. I mean, I was watching this game. And Xavier, I mean, they caused a lot of just stupid turnovers. Like, for example, looking for Trace Jackson Davis when he wasn't looking for it. That led to Colby Jones getting a steal in an and one. Trying to, but not long after that, Jones got called for a foul. I mean, I I thought it was, I didn't think it was the best call. I'll be honest with you. And that foul came with a minute 50 to go. I thought he got, I mean, they were pressuring him a lot. So that put Xavier, um, that put Indiana up five. And I will say there was some mismanagement. Sean Miller burned his last time out with a minute 10 to go. And that could have been really useful in the final seconds. Because Sule Boom, out of the timeout, knocked down a three to get, cut it down to one. And listen... Sule Boom turned it over. I mean, if they had the timeout after Fremantle got the steal with about 34 seconds left, they could have really used the timeout to set up that last play. But because they didn't, you know, they were disoriented. Sule Boom commits a careless turnover where he basically tripped over an Indiana 
defender that was brought over by his teammate. So he loses the ball on a jump ball. So Indiana gets it back. And not to mention, if he fell, he could have used that timeout. The funny thing was, at first he was looking like he was gonna use, he was gonna call for it, which would have been a technical foul. And then But Sean Miller was like, no, 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 no. And by the way, so Kunkel commits the foul with 12 seconds left. I mean, they let a lot of time burn, but at least they fouled the right guy. And the funny thing was, I was watching this, Malik Renault got fouled, and I knew the seconds like, no, 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 he didn't get me. He got somebody else. No, he didn't get me first. No, like, he didn't foul me. That told me he doesn't want to shoot free throws. And no surprise, he went 0 for 2. Jack Nungy gets the rebound. And Xavier, I mean, they put the ball in the hands of Adam Kunkel. He got everything, did everything right but the bucket. Just just missed off the glass. Xavier Johnson gets the rebound. Makes one of two from the line. Probably for the best that Xavier got. uh, Xavier Johnson made the second free throw for Xavier. And then on the inbound, Zach Fremantle's Baseball pass gets tipped by Malik Renault. Xavier Johnson catches it at half court. And that's it. Indiana survives 81-79. And it was Trace Jackson Davis with a monster night. The preseason All-American with 30 points on 13 of 16 shooting. They also got 23 from Xavier Johnson, who was 7 of 8 from the field, 2 for 2 from deep, 7 boards. And they also got 12 off the bench from Renault. 5 for 9 from the floor. And then they only got one other bench point. That was from Jordan Geronimo. 5 minutes, just one free throw. And then they got 7 from Miller Cop. 2 for 8 from the floor, just 1 of 4 from deep. But the 1-3 he hit was a huge one. Race Thompson, only 5 points. 2 of 7 from the floor, 8 rebounds. And then they got a 3 from... Jalen Hood Shafino, the freshman. So for Xavier, I mean, 7 of 17 from deep, so they were better than Indiana on the night. But Indiana was much more efficient inside the arc. They were 26 of 46 from two-point range. And leading the way for Xavier, I mean, they had two different players with 15 points each. Zach Fremantle with six boards and three assists, seven of 11 from the field. Sule Boom, three for four from deep, three for seven from the field, six of eight from the charity stripe, 14 from Jack Nunji, and eight rebounds. Colby Jones was back for this one. He did foul out. I thought the fifth one was kind of bullshit, but whatever. Jones was 4 for 11 from the field, 0 for 3 from deep. Again, 7 boards, 6 assists. Kiki Tandy in 15 minutes, 3 for 6 from the field, 1 for 3 from behind the arc. Adam Kunkel off the bench, 28 minutes, 5 for 11 from the floor, 3 for 5 from deep, 13 points, 3 assists, and then only one, really, it was a 7-player rotation for, for Sean Miller. And Desmond Claude, 16 minutes, just 2 points and a couple assists, 1 of 4 from the field. So a tough way for Xavier to fall to 3-1. and one. And then in the final leg of the Gavit games, Villanova taking on Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State was really up, really dominant in the first half. They were up 10 at the break. 
And Michigan State, really, they coming off the heels of the Kentucky when I thought they were just going to blow them out in the second half. I mean, they led by as many as 16 in this game. Yeah, their biggest lead, again, was 61-45. to 45, Right around eight minutes to go. But Villanova would not go away. And they were making some plays that, you know, you know they get, they get steals off the inbound. And they cut it down to one with 49 seconds to go on a Jordan Longino three. But Michigan State, at least, you know, at the end of the game, they made enough plays down the stretch. And they defended the last play really well. They... The ball went into the hands of Eric Dixon, but behind the arc. That probably wasn't where they wanted him to go. Eric should have been probably down low because, again, when you're down two, you don't need a three. You need two. But Michigan State, with that missed three from Dixon, they hold on to win 73-71. And again, it was Tyson Walker who was brilliant in this game. His mid-range game was phenomenal. 9 of 14 from the field, 3 of 6 from deep, 3 boards, 5 assists. A.J. Hoggard with 13 points, 8 boards, 10 assists, 5 of 12 from the field, 3 for 6 from deep as well. By the way, Joey Hauser, I want to point this out, in two games against Nova when he was at Marquette, just eight combined points, and they were both they were all in the game at the at Finneran Pavilion. In this game, he scored 13 and grabbed five rebounds, five of seven from the floor, three for four from deep. Malik Hall, and who was the hero of the Kentucky game, four for seven from deep, two of three from behind the arc. Nanny Sissoko, he may have only had one point, but you know, he was making a difference in terms of altering shots and the energy he was bringing on the court. And then off the bench, they got nine from Jaden Akins, who also grabbed five rebounds, four of seven from the floor, one of two from deep in 21 minutes. And then in 15 minutes, Pierre Brooks knocked down a three. As for, and Michigan State was really efficient from the field. Didn't go to the line as much, just four for six. From the free throw line, Nova was 15 of 19. And they only committed 10 fouls the whole game. But Michigan State, they were 13 for 25 from deep, 52%, and right around 52% from the field. They were 15 of 29 inside the arc. As compared to Nova, 8 of 29 from deep, that's under 30%. 45% from the field ain't bad. You know, inside the arc, they were making two out of every three shots. So more than half of their shots came from deep. 29 of 53 of those shots were from behind the arc. Eric Dixon led the way, though. 24 points, 9 rebounds, 9 of 14 from the floor, 3 for 7 from behind the arc. They got 16 from Brandon Slater to go with 6 boards in 38 minutes. Caleb Daniels, I mean, tough shooting night, but he got a 3 to fall that kept the comeback Trail going for Nova. 4 of 14 from the floor, though. Just 1 of 8 from behind the arc. Chris Archidiacono, 6 points, 4 assists. 1 for 3, all from behind the arc. And he did get a pretty big steal. Or, 
I, he wasn't credited with the steal, but you know he came up with the ball on a loose ball sequence and got a big assist that, again, kept the comeback going late in the game. Jordan Longino, two for six from the floor, one of four from deep, just five points. And then, again, the bench isn't as never been a forte of any Villanova teams in recent memory. Angelo Brizzi had four points in 12 minutes, and then they got a three in five minutes from Brendan Housen. So Villanova falls to 2-2, two and two, Michigan State now up to 3-1. and one. Now, number 25, UConn at Gamble hosting UNC Wilmington. UConn started off slow, but they really cruised to victory in the second half. 46-22 margin in the second half, led by as many as 41 points. And I'm trying to find where that 41-point lead was. 86-45 with under a minute to go, but UNC Wilmington, they scored the last five points of the game. Huskies win big, 86-50. They're now 4-0. and Adama Sanogo, brilliant once again. 24 points, only five rebounds, 8 of 12 from the floor, but again, the scoring was tremendous. And by the way, this is the first game that the Huskies had uh, Andre Jackson for, and then Jordan Hawkins also came back, and Hawkins was brilliant in his return. 7 of 13 from the floor, 5 of 8 from deep, 20 points. Alex Caravan with a dozen to go with 5 rebounds. and was, by the way, 3 for 6, all from behind the arc. 8 points each from Tristan Newton and Naheem Aline. Aline with shooting 2 for 4 from deep, 3 for 7 from the Two of four from D, three of seven from the field, excuse me. Joey Calcetera with six points and five rebounds in 18 minutes. Four points all in just one minute from Richie Springs. Donovan Klingon with two points in 12 minutes. Andre Jackson in his first game of the season coming off that pinky injury. Two points, five dimes in 19 minutes and three rebounds too. As for the Seahawks, they were led... Two different players, 16 points each. Shaikim Phillips, 5 of 16 from the field in 32 minutes. And then off the bench, 23 minutes from Jamari Thomas. 6 of 8 from the field, knocked down his only three-pointer of the three-point attempt of the game. And those two players, again, they had 32 of the 50 points for UNC Wilmington. No other player in double figures. They, I mean, they got 6 from Newby, 5 from Amari Kelly. And then a handful of players, each with two points. And I'm counting up three different players with two points each. Those players were Trezarian White, Malik Harden-Hayes, and Jamari Harvey. And the other player who was thinking about was Donovan Newby. And then in the Bahamas Championship, listen, I think we need to be realistic. Was DePaul losing to Santa Clara disappointing? Absolutely. But they're missing three of their best players, which are first and foremost Nick Ongenda, who is a force in the paint. They were also missing Yorane. Again, that's important. 
So no Yorane, no Nick on Genda. And I'm trying to find who the other one missing was. I know I'm going to find it. So again, no Yorane, no Nick on Genda. And they were, again, they were missing somebody else, and now I'm kicking myself because I don't know who it was. Oh, yeah, Caleb Murphy is still not active yet. But Santa Clara, they beat DePaul, and by the way, again, they started off great. They were up 43-28 at the break. You know, DePaul... Valiant comeback effort, but it comes up short. Santa Clara, your winner, 69-61. They were led by Brandon Podzimski, who, by the way, has a very questionable haircut as I'm looking at it now. 21 points, 12 rebounds, 9 of 19 from the field, just 1 of 6 from deep. I mean, Santa Clara was just 4 for 20 from deep, but DePaul was worse. They Yes, they made six three-pointers, but they took 31 of them. And Santa Clara was also plus 16 on the glass, 48 to 32. And then inside the arc, Santa Clara was a lot more efficient. They took 41 shots inside the arc where they were 22 of 41. So that put them up right around 43%. For a 42.6% from the field. Inside the arc for DePaul, again, 31% at 31 shots from deep, 30 inside the arc, and they were 50% even inside the arc, 21 for 61, 34%. Uh, back to the Broncos, they got 14 from their center, Jaden Be- Bediaco, who also had nine rebounds, four of eight from the field, eight points from Parker Braun. Four points, six boards, four assists for Keyshawn Justice. Carlos Stewart in 21 minutes had four points. The bench really efficient, though. 18 combined points from the bench. Seven from Brenton Knapper. Three for six from the floor, one of three from behind the arc. Cameron Tung with six points, two of four from the floor, knocked down his only three-point attempt of the game. Three points off from the free throw line from Kosi Akamitu. And then two points from Jacob Holt. Leading the way for the Blue Demons in the loss was Umoja Gibson with 18 points. 6 of 12 from the field, just 2 of 6 from deep. Javon Johnson, 14 points, 7 boards, 3 for 14 from the floor, 2 for 9 from deep. Three different players with 8 points each. Errol Penn with a team-high 11 rebounds. Philmont Gebrowit. 3 of 8 from the field, 1 of 5 from deep, and then off the bench, Deshaun Nelson. 8 points, 5 rebounds, but he did battle foul trouble, played 27 minutes. Meanwhile, Jalen Terry only played 13 minutes, knocked down a 3, and then they got 2 points from Ahmad Bynum. So DePaul with that loss, uh, now they got to play in the consolation game on Sunday in the Bahamas. So now let's look ahead to this weekend, and maybe a little bit beyond... Well, let's start today. For Eastern on ESPN News, Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off. Providence taking on Miami. The Canes are favored by two and a half in this one. 
If I'm being honest, Miami's going to have the best player on the court with all ACC first-team preseason selection, Isaiah Wong, who was really good for the Canes on their way to the Elite Eight. I mean, they also got really good transfer from Kansas State, Nigel Pack. I think Miami just looks better right now. Providence is going to try to provide a home court advantage as much as humanly possible. Uh, and the Canes right now, they're 3-0. and They've beaten Lafayette, UNC Greensboro, and Florida A&M. But Providence, 3-0. and Again, both of these teams had their seasons end a year ago at the hands of the eventual champion, Kansas. But Providence, they're 3-0. and I mean, they got that close win over Ryer to start the year. But since then, they've rolled to a pair of 24-point victories against Northeastern and Stonehill. And the offenses look much better. Again, they, dropped, they hit the century mark against Stonehill in their last game. But I actually have Miami beating Providence, which I think will end up setting up a matchup with Maryland. So uh, old pals Kevin Willard and Ed Cooley gonna most likely going to face off in that consolation game on Sunday, which I think Providence will win. So Providence, I think they're going to go one and one no matter what. They're either going to like beat Miami and lose to St. Louis, or they're going to lose to Miami but beat Maryland. Because St. Louis is really good. And then 7 Eastern on FS2. Butler hosting the Citadel. Yeah, Butler much better at home. They're 19-point favorites in this one. They're going to protect Hinkle like their life depends on it still. Give me the dogs beating the Citadel. Now, Sunday, Jamaica Classic Constellation game. Georgetown taking on LaSalle. Listen, I mean... LaSalle actually looked, granted, against a Villanova team that isn't who we thought we were. Who isn't isn't who we thought, wait, they're not who we thought they were going to be. Almost messed up my Dennis Green line from, what, 2006? Now, LaSalle, again, they're 2-2. Two and two. They lost at Villanova in their opener, like I mentioned, and then Wake Forest beat them by 12. I think LaSalle ends up winning this game. I think it's going to be a close game, but LaSalle wins by three. Now, three Eastern, FS1, Seton Hall hosting Wagner. Just a day after a major AEW pay-per-view. Yeah, full gear at The Rock tonight. God, I hope MJF wins the title. I know he's a bad guy, but he's the best bad guy in the business. And he's he's a month younger than I am. And just remember, kids... He's better than you, and you know it. But Seed Hall hosting Wagner. Donald Copeland, who was an assistant with the Pirates the past couple of years, now coaching Wagner. No, 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 wait, no. That can't be right. No, he was an assistant at Wagner, but... He was a great player at Seton Hall. That much can't be disputed. The Haw- the Seahawks are three and one. Their only loss coming at LaSalle, but they've defeated. They beat Temple in overtime. They beat non D one Newman Newman University, and then they beat Fairfield as well. I think Seton Hall is going to bounce back in this one to get to three and one ahead of their feast week trip to Orlando. So. Also Sunday, 4.30 Eastern, CBS Sports Network. Consolation game of the Bahamas Championship. 
DePaul taking on Oklahoma State. I feel like DePaul was going to phase Oklahoma State, but I thought it was going to be for the title. Oh, well, consolation game. I think Oklahoma State wins, though. And I think the Cowboys win by two. But again, don't be surprised if DePaul, even without Ongenda, and you're an A, I wouldn't be shocked if they won. Because Oklahoma State is not really a very, you know, forward-heavy team. Like, I know they still have Caleb Boone. But, they, yeah, they're very perimeter-oriented. So I think that's what DePaul, I mean, they should be lucky that, you know, Oklahoma's, I think they're a better matchup. And I think DePaul, again, I just think they're too shorthanded in this one. I think Oklahoma State, again, they'll barely pull it out. Now, 5 Eastern FS1, so following Wagner Seton Hall, number 25 UConn, hosting Delaware State at the XL Center. Again, De- Delaware State hasn't, they're 1 and 3, but they haven't beaten a Div- Division 1 team again since March 6th, 2021. Yeah, UConn's going to win. Now, looking ahead to some Feast Week action. So, Monday, three different tournaments involving Big East teams begin. Obviously, the big one. The Maui Invitational. Finally back at the Lahaina Civic Center. Such a great venue. I mean, just for the... It's something different. In college basketball. Especially when you... Again, you go to Maui. You know what you're getting into. So... Tech, uh, Creighton opens up with Texas Tech. That's going to be a ranked game no matter what. Because Texas Tech is unbeaten. and But they really haven't played anybody. I mean, neither has Creighton, but like... But they've been playing a lot better. And Texas Tech, you know, they're coming off a scare against Louisiana Tech. I mean, just looking at the bracket, though, I mean, Creighton's got going to have their hands full. Like, I think they're going to beat Texas Tech in a close one. And then there's no way Louisville starts 0-3 and then beats Arkansas Monday. There's no way in hell that's going to happen. So chances are Creighton's going to draw Arkansas. You know, I respect Arkansas. Great team, great coach in the form of Eric Musselman. And they got some dudes on their team. I mean, Ricky Council's really good. I mean, he's averaging nearly 19 a game. They uh, And then they have two other players averaging double digits. Trayvon Brazil is averaging a double-double. 14 points, 10 rebounds a game. I think, you know, I I got Creighton beating Arkansas. I think they will go to the championship game. Who will they draw, though? Well, the bottom half of the bracket has Ohio State, who is taking a major step back. San Diego State, who is 
pretty good. They're pretty. They're they're a pretty good team. They're, I mean, they're they're in the top twenty. I know Ohio State's three and zero, but I mean, I I just, they just don't jump off the page. And then you have Cincinnati, who is like okay at best. I mean, they're they're three and one. They're probably the second worst team in the field. So Cincinnati will absolutely lose to Arizona. That much I can tell you. So chances are the semifinal is going to have San Diego State and Arizona. And I really think Arizona wins. So I think we're going to have Creighton, Arizona in the final. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if San Diego State ends up winning. I really wouldn't be. And that would be an interesting matchup in the championship because, you know, they met in the tournament last year. Creighton won in overtime. San Diego State's going to want revenge. And you're going to have, you know, the, the brothers meeting up again. You know, with Arthur Kaluma probably meeting up again with Adam Seco. I think for the narrative, I wouldn't be shocked if it ends up that way. But you know what? Creighton's going to leave Maui with a title. I really feel it in my gut. Now, other tournaments beginning on Monday. You got the Fort Myers tip-off. Marquette opens up with Mississippi State. Bulldogs are 4-0, and the matchup favors them heavily. I got, you know what, I got, I really think Mississippi State is going to end up beating Marquette in that opener on Monday down in Fort Myers. Now in the consolation game, who are they going to draw? Chances are it's going to be Georgia Tech. And I think Marquette will beat Georgia Tech at least in the consolation game. And then the Empire Classic. On Monday, St. John's opens up with Temple at the Barclays. No doubt in my mind, St. John's will win that game. Now, who will they get? It's either going to be Richmond or Syracuse. Uh, Richmond, uh, they're they're struggling a little bit. You know, they just went zero and two in their in their two most recent games. No, they lost to Charleston in overtime on the road, and then Wichita State beat them. You know, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if we get St. John's Syracuse in the final. I think no matter what, though, St. John's is going to win this tournament. I think they're just, again, they're in New York City. Granted, in Brooklyn, but still, they're going to have a distinct home court advantage. I know Johnny's fans are going to show out. Give me St. John's winning. And then, I think I'm going to just leave it at that. Um, I might come back Tuesday. Yeah, I'm going to come back Tuesday. 
just to circle back on everything, you know, to project, you know, because who knows? Matchups might change. Like Marquette might end up playing somebody else on Tuesday. Creighton might play someone else on Tuesday and Wednesday, probably. Again, that all remains to be seen. But that is what we have for now. Thanks for tuning into this men's edition of the Igloo. I want to make sure I got this episode up. I know I episodes uploaded like a couple hours between each other. But at this point, listen, I don't care. Everyone knows, like I said, the women's episode was supposed to upload yesterday. But oh well. So now we know what's happening. Thanks for tuning in again. I, I will probably have a new women's episode out either Monday or Tuesday. I'm thinking Monday. I think, you know, it's going to be boom, boom, boom. And then going to enjoy Thanksgiving the following week. Probably going to do some episodes on the road as I'm traveling, you know, going to see Billy Joel Thanksgiving, even the garden, and then uh, off to Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy Feast Week as it officially begins on the men's side today. Uh, with pro- um, Actually, began yesterday. What am I talking about? Anyways, enjoy the games today as well as football. I'll catch you next time here on the Igloo.